What up, what up, what up, family? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we want to thank you for joining us for another edition of the Charles Coleman Podcast. I am your host, Charles Coleman. It is so good to have you here for another dope episode. We have a lot to talk about. Looking forward to the conversation today. Before we get started, do yourself a favor and go down, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube, follow, like, share, all of that. If you are checking us out anywhere where podcasts are found, whether you're on Apple Music, whether you're on Spotify, whether you're on Tidal, whatever it is, make sure you like, subscribe, and share, as well as following us all on the socials. Excited about today's show. You all know what it is. You know the drill. We have an abundance of amazing guests, but even more so than our guests, we have an incredible dream team of contributors. You have come to know them. You've come to love them. And I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of DMs. I get a lot of a lot of mentions about the contributors. And one of our favorite members of the Dream Team is back. You know how you love her. It's my sister. It's my girl. She's on the couch with us again. She is the boss at 593 Washington Avenue, the professional winner. You know her as Gloria Sherubin. Make some Brooklyn noise. Brooklyn Blue Smoke. Brooklyn Blue Smoke. You and your blue smoke today. You know, I'm repping my brand today. I had to go heavy on that. You are brand recognized today. Yes. And we, we love you for it, and we appreciate you for it. You got the extra applause today. Um, before we get started, I was thinking about... So, you know, I'm in the space of d and right. in my, like, day job, right? Like, I don't just do podcasts for a living, right? Like, even though people do think... And that's the funny thing, right? So, now, I really can't come to your establishment and do what I like to do. You know me. You know that I like to come. I like to sit. I like to have a cigar and relax. But now, when I come to your establishment, everybody wants to talk to me about the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> like I was there last night, and it was like four or five dudes talking over the music. Shout out to Spank Boogie. Spank was playing last night. Oh, yeah, he was going in. He was going in. And... Over the music. Yo, 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 I saw what you had did with Kurt and Gloria. <laughs> and I'm just waiting for you to have me on the podcast. <laughs> what do you do? I'm an asshole. I talk my... Ah. <laughs> oh, okay. About yeah. what? I can't even get into it. Like, it's just... I mean, but that, that's the thing about yours. I, I just am learning to have the Gloria face because I watch you do it. When people come in and he's just talking, you just look at me. You smile and, and you nod, and I don't know how to do that yet. The key is the walk off. Right, that's what I can't do. I like gotta, I don't know when I could do. Just... You gotta like get the walk off in. The walk I can't so get gotta, them you off. You gotta engage them. Oh, and then you gotta make it seem like that. Look, it's a, and just move with it. It's just that fast. It's I just, gotta work on that. You part. gotta just you just gotta disappear into the into the crowd and just move and be committed to it. You can't like stutter step. You can't not be confident with the walk because that walk off makes them feel like, oh, something urgent was happening. See, I'm the, I'm the type of They're friend. They're not going to get offended. I'm the type of friend. One time me and Cashmere was in there and um, you were sitting right there. You know this story. Me and Cashmere were in there and this dude comes in and I'm talking to Cashmere. And, you know what I'm saying? Me and Kurt just having a conversation and this dude just comes in and he's talking about all kinds of craziness. Like he buying gold in Ghana. He developing waterfront <laughs> hotels in, in the motherland. And Kurt's just sitting there so I call Kurt on his phone. I'm standing right, I'm sitting right next to him. I try to give him an out. You know right, the whole, right. oh, yo, I got to take this call. You know, Absolutely. I got to take this call. And he didn't, I don't know why he didn't pick up. I'm like, yo, bro, I gave you the, the lifeline. You didn't take it. I did, but I got to master 
The walk away. The walk away. I'm telling you, the, the walk away is, is the very key. powerful. They're not going to be offended. It's just going to be like, oh, now nah, I just put that out there. So now I'm, I'm going to have to remix it. The universe it. whispered I'm to a, me I'm and told me go that it, way. So now it's just going to be whatever, you know? <laughs> I got to work <laughs> on the walk away. Yo, let's go ahead and get into our shortcuts. Um, this is our conversation about news, our conversation about current events, things that have been trending, things that you may have heard about. Um, coincidentally, I saw this story in the news and I thought it was really interesting. So in the African nation of Gambia, there is a uh, significant professional sex trade mm -hmm. for men. Right. A lot of middle-aged women from the United Kingdom and from other parts of Europe frequently vacation in Africa for professional boy toys. And it's a big thing because people make a lot of money. Right. And it's part of the sex trade and the men are up. Like... City boys is up in Gambia. City boys, they up. Not city boys in Gambia. I'm so good. all jokes aside, the tourism industry in Gambia is actually upset. Like they've gotten to a point where they are trying to crack down and strongly discourage this type of tourism, despite the fact that Gambia is a nation that, like many nations in the motherland, has some significant issues with, with poverty. Right. So this adds to like, this is helping put food on people's tables. Like this is helping, you know, for all intents and purposes, the economy. Right. Is it backwards to sort of disallow or try to crack down on this sort of industry? Or is it a matter of, in your opinion, like dignity? First of all, I don't know if I really believe that they're trying to crack down on this whole situation. You just think they're saying they're trying to I crack think they're saying they're trying to crack down on it, but they come just... Come on, come on, to the back. We got you. But I just feel like they just got a whole new platform to invite more people, because I didn't know. So now I'm on you the website it? looking on <laughs> what these dudes look like to see if this is worth the trip. Now, let's... But wait, the flip side of it is... Yo, T'Challa. I don't understand why they upset because it's men. Because I know... Hello, fellas that stay making that trip back and forth to DR for the same type of sexual economy. What do you mean, you, culture? I don't, I don't, no, I don't, not culture, I'm bro. Not from, it's mad dudes culture? that's going to DR to be with these chicks. Don't. I, I, I hadn't heard about that. Don't, nah, stop. You was dead in like, nah, I'm fronting. Right? I'm just <laughs> yeah. saying. Don't do that. Don't. <laughs> don't do that. No, yeah. we do know that yeah. it's a huge, like, I, I've had guys sit in my lounge and, and, and tell me, nah, nah, these, these chicks really like me. That's why I be really spending my stop. Yo, stop. They you know what the line is? The line is, yo, they love New York niggas out there. Right. They All love day. us. They love Brooklyn niggas out there. That's the line. Guys. They love green money. That, yes, there. DR you, is increasing its do you tourism think, because of that. Do you think that our position on it has anything to do with like the stigma that we attach to sex work in America? I mean, I definitely think it is a combination of a number of things, you know what I'm saying? But I think at the end of the day, um, where Gambia is right now in terms of what are the alternate things to offer? The aquarium? That's what was in the article, bro. Like, right. come on. <laughs> like, we, we, we want to drive more people to come to Gambia for the aquarium. I'm not believing it. Do you think that, like, if the influx of tourists 
weren't white, do you think that the response would be what it is? Do you think that that plays like a factor? I think it does play a factor. I think that we're, I think that a lot of the art, when I initially read the article, I kind of felt like the position was, you know, Gambia being a free nation, but yet we're still dependent on this kind of sexual market to kind of maintain our economy because we have nothing, there's no other, these women aren't coming for any other reason. Yeah. So I guess at that point, you know, I see the connotation and I can see why it, it's an egregious act. But at the same time, it's obviously providing for these black men. You know what I'm saying? The question becomes... And some of their families. No, like, sure. not just for them. I, but if, if, especially if there's nothing else, if there's no other economy in the place to really kind of sustain their GDP. If their GDP is dingling, then uh, we going to uh, get this money up. You know what I'm saying? Gross but, dingling product. <laughs> That's maybe what it... Right. Gross D <laughs> product. Grand D Grand. product. All right, right, so so would you? I want you to tell the truth, right? Because you talked about the idea of men, right. Who often do, you know, um, engage in overseas sex industry. They support sex right. economies in other cities, other nations where it is less taboo, right? Would you, or do you know any women who have? No, I, I, I honestly I don't know any women who have. So, 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 you don't know any Stellas? Because that's the same thing, minus the bread. Right, like, no, I understand that. I, I, I definitely understand it. I'm not saying, I don't know that, I don't know of anyone personally. <laughs> Yo, the you look right now, for those of y'all who are just listening. You know listening, who you are if you didn't tell me. The look, oh. All I'm saying so you have is to I ask, don't, don't ask, don't tell. Know. So you I'm just to, saying, whatever to, happens in that country, stays in that country. I just don't personally know. It wasn't That's, your roommate. It wasn't, no. It wasn't my, everybody came back. Come on, man. I don't know. If I don't know, I don't know what you are. I'm not going to, you want me to lie? I don't want you to lie, I'm but keep it a buck. if you I say like, it wasn't don't ask, don't tell. I'm just saying, I don't know. I'm not saying none of my peoples went away and got dicked down. I'm not okay. saying that didn't happen, but it wasn't like they was in the sex market. It was Babo Tunde, who was just cool <laughs> and sexy on the beach, and things happened. Things, That's a very different situation. I should be That's a not, I saved my things money happened. to go down there. I think it's a lot easier for women, whereas men... Of course it is. Well, as I'm saying, so then my people's, you know, most of my friends are pretty like me. I'm, I'm, saying, I mean, I'm listen, just saying they don't have to pay. No, no, I, no and that is... I don't want to say valid, but it makes sense. Right. I don't necessarily know that it's, you know, a matter of women who have to pay to engage in the tourism, the sex tourism, you know, industry. But trust and believe, y'all going out of town, and if a woman wants to get some action in while she's out of town, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. That's what I'm saying. So she yeah. doesn't have to pay for it versus right. whole swath of men who are corny in Brooklyn. Not... <laughs> And get to DR. Yo, yo, they love New York because out here, son. We out here on the streets, son. Going nah. live, playing Everything. themselves. And it's the works. It's ridiculous. It's a whole uh, situation. All right, let's move on. Um, our favorite segment that is branded by G, where G gets to get her off about what she wants to talk about today. So what are we talking about today in Branded by today, G? Today we're talking about... Sisterhood, as always, we're going to go right back to that, but in a different context, right? Okay, so we're going to talk about, like, when you're in a relationship, right? You got your man, and we've been together for a few years, and now our friends, we build friends that are, like, 
friends of friends. So your friends become my friends. Uh, my friends make friends with your friends. Who gets the friends in the divorce? Who gets the friends in the divorce? I really want to talk about this. <laughs> I think this is a very important who conversation. Who gets the friends gets in the, the friends divorce? Who gets the friends in the divorce? I think that, and personally, I feel like, you know, I feel like there needs to be a certain level of loyalty. I feel like the friends that I garnered through you, let them, let them rock with you. Agreed. Because I can't stand, <laughs> I cannot stand for me to break up and then I'm looking and like now you, the ex is like making comments and emojis under people's social media. Because I'd be wondering like, first of all, who is that for? Is right. that for me? Right. Like, 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 yo, tell me you miss me without... Subs. Yeah, It'd tell me you, tell me you subbing me without telling me you. You subbing watching me. everything. First of all, I'm cutting all your people off because I don't want you engaged in any see part you. of my life. I don't want to. I'm not looking for you, Mike. I be straight mourning people like they not dead, but I be having a whole grief process where I start to detach myself. So everybody in your world has to be annihilated, and you need to let everybody in my world go because you can't try That's to hold on to the friendship. That's a big fact I, that I, we forged together in a relationship. I almost feel like people got to talk about this. Like, they, like you got to be very clear. Like, I, I'm introducing my friends. Right. But if this don't work out, they still my friends. Right. You got to go. You got to go. Like, it's got to go. be real. But I, and I feel like some friends be messy, though. Because they be trying to, like, hold on. Like, mm. now nah, we cool. You're not cool. Yeah, you don't know them. You don't, you don't but even for me, know them. But, but, but for me, you don't you know them. You didn't really get invited to anything. No. I got invited and I brought you with me. Big so now, like, now that I'm not going anymore, you can't go. So I got this one sister, right? She's notorious for maintaining relationships with the other sister's exes. Mm, like, she'd be at, like, Thanksgiving. Not even really Thanksgiving, like, the New Year's party. The Christmas party, I'd be like, yo, you can't go. You gotta <laughs> cut that part now, nah, but they cool. Nah, you can't go. Right, like, right. I mean, I had to tell her, like, yo, listen, when me, if any of my people break up, you can if I ever see you at any of their family events. You can say if I ever that sounds you very bullish. No, it's gotta be bullish. It's gotta be clear, but that's how far it gotta go. What bothers me about this is I feel like people know this. And I feel like when people violate in that way, like the exes, they're trying you. Right. Like they're trying you because they like do something about it. Right. And you may be in a space where you're like, you know what? I don't even want to engage you anymore. Like I'm not even trying to come to you to have this conversation. And you're baiting me right. to try to get me into this space. Right. And I don't want to be involved. And that, I think, is what makes you even more enraged about it. Right. Because it's like, now you really, like, you you dragging it. You dragging it. No, real talk. I think, and I think that a lot of times when that's happened, the person hasn't really completely let go. Yeah, for sure. Right, you know. Because this is their way of staying in touch. Staying in touch. Staying connected. So I can't have my friends kind of pulling me back into situations that I don't voluntarily want to be in. And that becomes tricky, right? Because then they like say, oh, well, we have an independent friendship. How? How, Sway? How? Where do you have an independent you friendship don't. from? It's not real. The only way you know them is because of me. It's not real. Like, like whatever you develop loyal. is still, yeah, I think that it, that's the thing. It's, I think it needs to be a loyalty. It's got to be loyalty. So like, you just no, write a loyalty clause into the contract. I don't want to even write this out. I think it should be automatically ingrained in who you are as a person. Like, remove yourself if you don't feel like you could just lock in with me. And know that if it gets ugly, you rock with me. You rock and, with then, me. and this is just what it is in a divorce. Wow. I get it, though. I, I, I've been that. That is going to wrap up Branded by G today, one of our favorite <laughs> segments. 
and lead us to our main conversation of this episode. I am super excited about our latest installment of Black Brilliance Conversations. As you know, our Black Brilliance Conversations are discussions that we are having with leaders across different industries, movers and shakers, and everybody who you want to hear from. Today, we have a special guest, a super luminary. We've had some political figures on before, but today we've got someone super duper special that I'm very excited to talk to. I'm just going to, without further ado, I mean, you know, there are a lot of big, there are a lot of big names that come out of Texas, a lot of big figures that come out of Texas, but none more recognizable, none more significant, none more important than the guy I've got on the podcast today. We've got the mayor of Houston, y'all. Sylvester Turner is in the building. Sylvester Turner is in the building and on the couch. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, brother Coleman. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Today, Thank you man. for being on, man. Um, before we get started, there is an interesting story. I don't know if your office looked, but if they did, they would have found out. You wrote me a it wasn't a it wasn't a proclamation, but it was a letter of acknowledgement and celebration in 2018 because I did a community service project in your city. Um, it was a it was after it was after um, Hurricane Harvey. I had still been helping okay. people, young young men, particularly single men who had not been able to access aid. I did an event down there um, as part of the Black Superhero Project, and I still have the letter. It's like literally framed on my wall. Something that I had. I was honored. To, I was honored to write it. Man. Uh, and look, I, thank you, thank you for being in the show. I appreciate that. You know, let's go on and get started, man. Um, okay. This is a conversation that I've wanted to have with a number of different black mayors in particular, because people don't understand the significance sometimes of how a mayor really sets the tone for their city. Mm -hmm. We're on the heels of everything that happened in Memphis with Tyree Nichols, which of course raises the conversation about law enforcement community um, what it is to be a leader in communities of color. And I just wanted to get your reaction just in general to what that was, not the political reaction, but the reaction as a black man, as a black man who leads a city with a significant black population. Um, I wanted to, I, you know, I wanted to get your reaction to that. And I would tell you when I, when I, saw the video it was uh it was shocking and it was disturbing just as a as a black man it was shocking and disturbing um and and to be directly candid with you for black police officers to be involved yeah. it was it was it was very very disappointing and it and it said to me you know um when you devalue life or if you if, if you don't like yourself in many ways, um, then uh, you disrespect and devalue the lives of others, even sometimes the people that look just like yourself. So it was, it was, it was shocking. It was disturbing, and um, I just uh, it, and it makes no sense. You know, you you have had to manage a very challenging conversation about law enforcement, about policing, mm -hmm. about police violence right. in your city. You've right. also had to chat, you've also had to deal with the challenge of, I think it was in 2019 and 2020, 
you all saw the murder rate go up. You guys have since brought it down. Right. You've been a part of the conversation about allocating more money in general to the police budget, but in specific ways, you guys have been at the center of that. And it's been a, a discussion. And so I guess my thing is, as you've approached these conversations, as you've approached these challenges, what has been your guiding, like what's your North Star? What's your guiding ideology about how you move in that direction? Well, number one, and, and you are right, I've had to deal with it on both ends. Right. When there's been police violence against citizens, you know, I've had to deal with that. And of course, George Floyd uh, come out of city of Houston, CUNY Homes right here in the city of Houston. Many of his family members still live here. And so uh, we had put forth, uh, put forth a task force on police reforms that came back quickly with 104 recommendations. We've implemented about 90, 91 of them already. Um, so we don't do chokeholds and you don't just be shooting at vehicles and you do have a duty and an obligation to respond. And then we created, we put forth these uh, um, uh, online boards um, that people can actually see and that's interactive, file a complaint. You don't have to go to the police station. Uh, you can file a complaint, for example, with the NAACP or at the LGBT office. Um, so we want to make it accessible and make things trans transparent. And then at the same time, I've had to be on the other end where there's violence against other people uh, in the community, not involving the police, just people shooting and yeah. killing one another. So I have to deal with that. My North Star for me, uh, um, Brother Coleman, is I call a ball a ball and a strike a strike. Mm. Okay, And I call it as I see it. And it's important for us to be, uh, to hold each one accountable and, and, to, and, and, uh, and not hide anything from people. Yeah. Not try to delay anything. And, uh, uh, and that's the way I look at it. I mean, look, I grew up in the hood. I still live in the same hood in which I was born and reared. Okay. So, uh, but I call a, a ball a ball and a strike a strike. And, and that's the way I, that's the way I look at it. That's what I see. So it. one thing that I think your city has for better or for worse, particularly in the past 10 years, um, Houston was always a sort of hot spot in the hip hop community. But mm -hmm. in the past couple of years, Houston has exploded in terms of the amount of attention and interest that it gets as a city from the hip hop community. You got Drake coming down there. I, that boy may have a house there. I don't know. Um, he's yeah, down there he's all the time. quite a bit. Yeah. You know, he's out there. You have, um, obviously, Jay Prince has been a, a person who's a personality who's been in that right. space for a while. And then, of course, you have, yeah, and of course you have your, your Slim Thugs, you have your UGK, you have your Bun B, all of those Powell. people. Right. You have all of those people. Right. In addition to, of course, right. your legends like Scarface, Willie D. It goes on. All of them. All of them. Do you think that the new influx of sort of attention around Houston, its reputation, do you think that it gives Houston, or gives outsiders an impression of your city that you're not necessarily comfortable with? Or are you kind of sort of like, 
not worried about it? Do you think that that has any impact in terms of how outsiders view your city? No, I look, I I grew up with many of these folks. Salem Thug and I, for example, come out of the same community. Acres home, north side to Fofo. Um, I was the first mayor to, to bring to my to bring the city home to meet with me about about 20, 20 25 of them, mm-hmm. sitting around the table, saying, um, "Help me to move this city forward." And they came forth with a lot of good ideas. I asked for their direct involvement, their direct participation. We are a very diverse city, and not just in terms of ethnicity, but in terms of culture, in terms of music, and where people come from. And they play a vital role in our city. So I don't have a problem with that. Um, You know, it is important. You know, you don't want people hurt. You don't want people committing violence or anything of that nature. But they can reach some folks that I can't reach. Yeah. People are listening to them in many ways before they listen to me. And so it's, it's, it's important from my vantage point to bring them in, to integrate them in, ter- in terms of where their city is, where their city is going, and to make sure that we reach every segment within our city because everybody is important. Everybody can contribute. And we are and we are not the same. I think on so many different levels. I think so. No, I'm I'm cool, I'm cool with that. I think you 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 raise an interesting point when you start talking about the fact that they can reach people that you can't. Right. And the reason I bring that up is because there's another conversation that I'm having with you and other black elected officials about particularly black male engagement in the civic process. There is a very, very valid, there's a very Mm -hmm. valid sentiment among black men, particularly heterosexual black men that, you know, in large part, they don't feel seen at the national level um, in democratic politics, at the national level. And because of the way that politics are sold to us in terms of our mindset doesn't always appreciate that all politics are local. And our mindset does not always appreciate the fact that when you don't participate in state and local elections, you do yourself a disservice because that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. That trickle down for the national discourse can affect engagement and participation at the local level. I've seen some of the numbers out of the city of Houston, but Mm -hmm. when you talk about that sort of engagement, and being able to use other people as surrogates or as people who will help get your message out. How do you approach that conversation about voting? Because there are a lot of black men who feel like, look, the current agendas of either party don't speak to me. They don't necessarily do anything for me. So you're the mayor in their city. What's your conversation with them? My conversation with them is, there's a place for black men if we're going to just focus right now on on that on the on that group at the table. I'm a brother sitting at the table. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now no one is no one is just going to um, uh, just wait on people to come. It's important for me as mayor of this city uh, to reach out to other brothers and to invite them 
and to seek their input and their participation. And I'm, I do that all the time. Some of my directors, for example, uh, are brothers, black men, okay? And people that I put on boards and commissions are black men. Uh, my brother's keeper that I invest in is geared towards um, men of color and young men of color. And I encourage them to participate at, at, every, at every level. So I think, Charles, me, be a little bit more spe- be a little bit more specific. When it comes to economic empowerment, yeah. okay, you want to make sure that you are supporting uh, these entrepreneurs and encouraging people to be entrepreneurs. You want to make sure that you provide brothers with, with the workforce experiences that they need to take advantage of the, of the opportunities that are coming into our city. It's important for me not to just stay here at City Hall, but to go out in the community, talk to them, have real talk conversations with them. That's important. That's one of the reasons why I've elected to stay right in the neighborhood that I was born and reared. So that they can see examples that you can come through and still navigate and go to the next next level. So uh, I, you know, I, I can't speak in a sense to what's happening on the national level. Sure. Well, you could. But I, you could. Well, well, I, mean, I could. I understand, but, you may not, I, mean, I understand you may not want to, or you may choose not to. But you could. But I'm. Well, but but it is it is and it is important to encourage black men, okay, to get engaged, and it's important for us to talk directly to them, okay. Not over them, not around them, not miss them, but to talk directly to them. And I think that that's and even in our politics. And I think that that's a big part of what is not happening that makes people not engage is that no one or very few people feel like they're being spoken to. I think that there is a sense that they may be spoken about, they may be spoken around, or they may be spoken at but they're not talked to as part of the conversation. And I think that what you're talking about from an engagement standpoint is very important because it is the linchpin that is going to make the connection for people to feel like, number one, not only am I seen, but I actually have a place in this space. So you've been mayor for, like you said, eight years now. Uh, Going to my eighth year, this is my final final year. 2023. you've had an opportunity to see a lot of different things in Houston. A lot of things change. A lot of things happen. A lot of things. Right. And you've also learned a lot of lessons. Like nobody comes on the job knowing everything about what it is to be mayor. I have a couple questions about that. Number one, these are kind of sort of rapid fire. Do you have any regrets? Do you have any regrets? No. I've enjoyed every bit of it, the good and the bad and the ugly. Number two, what's been your biggest lesson? Over the over the years what, you've been man, what's been your biggest lesson? That what you can't prevent or foresee, you simply have to learn to manage. That's probably because stuff will stuff will come from every direction. And there are a lot of things that will happen you couldn't stop, you couldn't prevent, you couldn't foresee. But when it does happen on your watch, you have to manage it. No one is perfect. And I think no one expects perfection, but given everything that you've learned and done throughout your tenure, 
What's the one thing? What's the one thing in 2023 that you want to end right on that you feel like you know what we can really do that a little bit better? And I want to make sure that I go out and don't leave this office without improving this thing. What is that? I've said to my my team, my executive team, 2023 is a year of uh, of um, implementation, getting it done. It's not trying to come up with a lot of new stuff. Okay. The wheel is already built. For example, for example, three weeks ago, we cut the ribbon on this A-Leaf multi-neighborhood uh, center. They've been waiting on it for some 20, 27 years. Mm. And cut the ribbon, it will, be, it will transform that community. That was three weeks ago. This past Saturday, we cut the ribbon on the Sunnyside Neighborhood Multi-Service and Health Center. This black community, they've been waiting on it for a long, long time. Cut the ribbon. Doors are open. We're going to significantly enhance 22 neighborhood parks, not those signature parks in our city, but parks in these communities, 22 of them in this year alone. Uh, I, I put together what we call complete communities. I said when I came in as mayor eight years ago, I didn't want to be the mayor of two cities in one, have and have nots. So we've been investing resources into these communities. So, yeah, it's not just about putting money in police. It's about also focusing in a laser way these communities that have been underserved and under-resourced, putting money in there. We want to get those projects and those communities done. And in some cases, it won't be it won't be completed, but we will have planted the seed for its growth and development. So 2023 for me is the year of um, execution and implementation, getting it done before I leave. So people can see in a very visual way mm-hmm. what we have been talking about for the last several years. That's that's important for me. And this is a follow-up to, you know, you mentioned it and it, it kind of popped in my head. The conversation about police funding is one that has generated a lot of discussion. It's not so much a discussion now as it was in the wake of George Floyd's death Right. The conversation right. about the police was a much bigger discussion. But again, Houston having increased its budget in response to a surge in violent crime was at the forefront of the conversation. I was always one who said everything is about context. So on one hand, you could say Houston increased its budget for policing. But on the other hand, you have to understand where that money went and how that money was allocated. Can you talk a little bit about that context so that people people on the right don't say, oh, it's all about how much money we give to policing. And then people on the left also don't say, oh, you know, all they want to do is throw money at police and make that the solution to the problem. Can you add some context to how that money was allocated? Yeah, because it's a much bigger context. When I came in as mayor seven, eight, seven and a half years ago, for example, we needed more police in the city of Houston. We had about, about 50, 5,100 police officers covering 640 square miles. In comparison, for example, Chicago has about 12,000 covering 275 miles. So we needed more. Uh, and then the reality is, is that in the context of us funding more, uh, the police department is a part of an overall initiative that I put in place called One Safe Houston. It's not just about boots on the ground over time for police. 
It's about the utilization of technology. It's about the gun buyback program. And the city of Houston has had the biggest one-day gun buyback program in the country. So it's about getting these guns off the street. But are those effective? It's about are, are gun buyback programs really effective? You, you have to view it in terms of all of the tools. Standing alone, it's not as effective. But when you combine all of the tools, technology, gun buybacks, my reentry program, when people come out of prison or coming back into the streets, they need housing and they need employment. Yeah. And, and so we're investing, we're investing dollars in the reentry program. That's a part of it. Crisis intervention. The police are having to respond to way too many calls when they are not the best source for a person that's in crisis. Mental behavioral health, health issues, substance abuse, homelessness. Right. So we're, we're putting a lot of money into those areas and redirecting the calls away from police to the services and the people who can best handle their crisis, domestic abuse and violence. We're investing more money in those areas. So it's a holistic approach. So, so yes, more money in police. But at the same time, my Higher Houston Youth Program that focuses on young folk from the ages of 16 to 24, many of them males, many of them black males, providing summer jobs, paid jobs for them. This summer in 2023, the goal is to provide 20,000 paid summer internship jobs for that group between the ages of 16 to 24. When I came into office, Brother Coleman, we were offering 450 jobs. 2023 would be 20,000. Mm. And then our community messages program, there are a lot of other community programs that we're investing in. And then I mentioned to you, Complete Communities, identifying 10 neighborhoods in our city that have been underserved and under-resourced for decades, like the one I grew up in. So it's the holistic approach. So yes, more funding in police, but it takes police and the community working together to make a very safe city. Brother Turner, we've had an amazing conversation and uh, I really do appreciate your time, but I do have one last, last, last question. Okay, all right. You're in a city where the voice of that city is very different or can be very different than some of the larger voices in your state that represent your state on a larger level, right. on a statewide level and on a national level. How do you manage that in terms of having conversations with people who politically, in terms of your ideology, you may not be aligned with? You may not be aligned with the Ted Cruz. You may not be aligned all the time with the Governor Abbott. How do you manage that and those relationships to the betterment of your city? That, is, that has been tough. That's probably been the most challenging um, set of circumstances that I've faced since I've been mayor because uh, we've not had a, a great deal of support from the state. And sometimes they've been, they've been more of a hindrance or imposed stumbling blocks than a bridge. And at times, same thing on the national level. Um, so, but what I've said to my team, and this is the way I've operated my entire life, I can sit there complaining or I can find ways to get around that stump. And my daddy used to tell this story yeah, you about- could, You could put the paws on them. You could do that too. Well, yeah, but you know, you, you know, when people are in need, let me put it this way, when people in your city or in the community are in need and they come to you 
They are looking for you to meet their need. Mm -hmm. You can spend all your time saying, if we had a different governor or we had a different legislature. Brother Coleman, they don't want to hear that. That's, that's when people are hurting and when people are in need and they come into you and you, in this case, I'm the mayor, they're expecting me to find a way to meet their need. And, and like I told my team, let's find a way, let's be creative, let's be innovative, let's, let's, let's try to make this happen. I can explain to them later about the value of voting and participating, but it's right now it's important for us to find a way to meet their need. If we meet their need, then we can go back to them and say, I could have done this more or better or sooner if I had different players at another level. And that's what I've learned in my time in public service. When folk come to you, don't send them away. Don't, don't, don't say I can't do anything. Or if you all had, if you all had voted, or if you all had voted differently, Nobody would that. things would Nobody would say that. they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that crap. They don't want to hear that. So uh, uh, and that's what I would tell any elected official. And especially people that look like me, what I've said to other mayors, you know, don't, 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 don't get frustrated when they come and, and you figure and you say, if, if things had voted, if the, the outcome of the election had been different, it couldn't, no, they don't want to hear that. Right. They don't want to hear that because we're in these seats and especially for African-American mayors, African, when African-Americans get in, become mayors, the people who voted for them, who placed their trust in them, they want us to solve the problems right now. They want results. They want results. But look, they may have given another white mayor a longer time. But when we come expectations in... Expectations is different. Their expectations are higher. They expect you to understand their condition, why their conditions have been like this for a long time and they want results, and they want them sooner. So they don't give us much of a, a runway. They don't do that. And instead of getting frustra frustrated with them, we have, to excite, we have to understand, and we have to find ways. And that's why I, I chose to stay in the same neighborhood. I was at the gas station. I have my mayor's detail, but I was on Saturday. And I wanted to drive my own car. I, I mean, I want to drive my own truck. So I got in my truck, didn't have enough gas in it. So I went to the local gas station and I was pumping my gas. And this guy was walking towards me. I saw him walking. And, um, and I put my hand, at one hand was on the gas pump, my other hand was in my pocket. And I act like I had something, cause, you know. So he was walking slowly. And he walked past me, and then he stopped and turned back to me. So I, I really put my hand in my pocket like I, you know, like I had a weapon or something, you know. And I said, I said, damn, where's my details now, you know? So, so, so he comes up to me, and he said, uh, hey, uh, well, what's your, what's, what's your name, man? So I said, uh, I said, why are you asking me my name? So he said, "No, what's, what's, what's your what's your name?" He said, um, "You look like you look like you look like the mayor." So I said, "Man, hell, I am the mayor." 
I am the male. You know what he said to me? He said, uh, why are you why are you in this neighborhood? Mm. I said, man, I grew up right down the street. He said, well, I I know them. I know you. The mayor grew up in Angus Home, but I would. I I thought you'd be living some someplace else. So I said, "No, man. I'm still living right here. I'm still living right here." And then he says to me, "He says, uh, much respect. You know, you know, like Brother Scrape. He pumped me, and he said, much respect, brother. And he and he walked away. And I said, and I said to myself." That's why it's important for us as leaders to find ways to still show our connectedness to the communities that we serve, uh, not just in words, but people want to see in a, in a very personal, tangible way, our connectedness to the communities that we are seeking to represent. And then they'll give us a little more time in order to make the changes. So we've got to find ways to buy just a little more time so when things do happen and shit happens like, you know, Tyree and others, then they'll, they'll be willing when we say, look, we're, we're trying to work it out. They understand the truth. Yeah. So those are, those are the things that uh, for me that um, that I reflect on, and and it's not just what you say, it's what you do, it's where you live. All of those things are important. They want to be able to touch you, feel you, look in your eyes, and and when they look into your eyes, uh, they'll know whether or not you care. They they they'll know, and especially in this case, brothers brothers will know. Oh, yeah. They'll know whether or not you know you you. You talking just to be talking, or you care? Well, he's the man, and he is the man. <laughs> Sylvester Turner has been on the couch with us. And I want to thank you for joining us for Black Brothers Conversations on the Charles Coleman Podcast. You know, Thanks, man. you are all right for our alpha, brother. I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate you having been on. Thank you so much for your time. And for your work and for your effort, we really do appreciate you. And it is an honor and a pleasure to have had you on the Charles Coleman Podcast.